Hey guys, Pastor Matt Chandler here. Uh, one of the themes that comes out in The Overcomers over and over and over again is the centrality of God's word to encourage and build up his saints. It's why I love uh, Dwell Bible app. It's an app for listening. Uh, I, I kind of use it in the margins of my day. I like to listen to, depending on my mood, uh, Mark or Felix throw on some ambient music and then in my truck or in my study or uh, in a few minutes between this meeting going into that, soak again in the word of God. Uh, they, they've given us kind of an awesome deal here for a yearly subscription. If you go to dwellbible.com backslash overcomers, they're giving us 25% off an annual subscription. So if you're looking for more Bible in your life, in the margins of your life, not just kind of traditionally listening, but listening while you work, listening while you drive. I couldn't recommend the Dwell Bible app more highly. This struggle is so isolating already that it can feel insurmountable some days. Like, if I say this out loud, what's going to be the response? Will yeah. you reject me? Will you turn away from me? Will you tell me that I can never see your your children again? Yeah. Because these are all real responses that have yeah. been received. Okay, well, welcome back to The Overcomers. Just as a reminder, uh, what we're trying to do in these episodes is, is really talk about the long journey home. We're, we're talking about, uh, without any blue checks or uh, silver bullets or supernatural in-a-moment healing, although I do think that happens, we're, we, we want to have the conversation that you can love Jesus, cling to him, and still be disappointed and hurt and broken and experience loss, and, and yet find Jesus's presence strong enough to hold your doubts, fears, concerns, and his grace big enough to grab hold of your compulsions. And so uh, what that that's what we're trying to do in each of these episodes in the hope that you'd be encouraged in your own journey. So in any of these uh, episodes, I'm not really thinking you, you, you might be identical to the person that I'm interviewing, just that we all are experiencing the same thing in our own story, which is Christ has grabbed hold of our hearts. We believe and love him. And we're, we're, we're kind of by the grace of God being sanctified from one degree of glory to the next. And if we're honest, more slowly uh, than we would all like to admit. And so in this episode, we're going to be talking about same-sex attraction. Uh, Jonathan uh, has struggled with that, but that's he's more than that. We don't want to flatten him out into that. He's actually a, a man that loves Jesus and is trying to bring his whole body, his whole being into glad submission to Jesus. And so that's um, just giving you a heads up on what this episode is all about. So whether you're in your car or on the treadmill uh, or in your office or wherever you are right now, uh, we want to dive in and just marvel at Jesus's sanctifying safe hands and his power um, as we marvel at the fact that he's going to get us all the way home if we cling to that hand that is clinging to us. And so, hey, Jonathan, welcome. Thank you. Appreciate it. Why don't you Why don't you frame the story for us? So I don't know how much family of origin you need to get into or um, when it first began for you, or I, I certainly want to get to conversion, like salvation. Uh, and then from there, let, let's talk through m maybe some of the unique aspects of the struggle of same-sex attraction in a Christian world mm -hmm. in a, a way where you're trying to submit your life to Jesus in, in really in a flood of information that would tell you you could be a Christian and just surrender to that compulsion. Yeah. So I am the first child of two uh, refugees from Vietnam. Okay. And so all the struggles that come with that. I was born in Canada. And so another added layer of cultural kind of um, not belonging. So growing up, uh, there was a deep sense of I don't belong. Yeah. You know, with my Asian family, I'm too white. With my white friends at school, I'm too Asian. When I'm here in the United States, well, you were born in Canada. Yeah. And so never really was there a place that I belonged. And then even in the home, 
um, when you have, you know, I, th I think they call them third culture kids. Yeah. But when you have one foot here and one foot there, you're being raised one way. You go to school, you spend eight hours another way. It, it's just such tension. So the way that you're shown love and the way that you're given love, you don't really necessarily know how to receive. And there's just always a barrier, a wall. Um, so I think I spent a lot of my childhood thinking that I needed to earn my parents' love. Um, and, uh, you know, kind of in Hercules, like when he walks into the temple and Zeus says to him, like, hey, when the stars align, then you'll be accepted into the family. That's kind of how I grew up thinking. Like this ambiguous standard, one day I might achieve it and the stars will align and then I'll be the family. Yeah. And so that caused a lot of uh, just deep shame and like chasing affirmation um, as my modus, like as my motivation for just about everything um, in life. And I, I think the older I got in grade school, the more that was present in on my heart. I always felt like, what? I'm not doing enough. I can't, I, there's no way I'm going to do enough to earn my place in this family. I remember getting like a 96 on a, a math test one time and being so proud of it and it still wasn't enough. Oh man. And so, um, that, that kind of core memory just kind of characterized my struggle at home. When I was in fifth grade, I was exposed to pornography for the first time. And that first exposure sent me into kind of a spiral of even deeper shame of, well, if, you know, if my parents didn't love me before, they're definitely not going to love me now. Um, if they knew this about me, there's, it's game over. I think I was fearful that they would find out that I had looked at something I, ha I shouldn't have seen. And then when I did see this pornography, I was fixating on the man in the picture and not the woman in the picture. And that caused me an, a, another layer of shame. Um, of, wow, not only did I do a bad thing, then I'm not even thinking rightly about this bad thing. And so what, what are my parents going to think when they find this out? And so I crafted this shell, this exterior that nobody could get in to see the ugly, broken par parts of my insides. And I kept everybody an, at an arm's length. And that was all of my adolescence. I'm just trying to keep people outside to see what I wanted them to see and um, never let them close enough to see what I hated about myself. Um, and it got to the point where by the end of middle school, it was pretty contentious between me and my parents. And I, I basically asked to go to boarding school. I know okay. most people get sent. Yeah, that's unique. Yeah. You know, like most, when I tell people I went to boarding school, they're like, were you a bad kid? I was like, I was a bad kid, but I wanted to go. I yeah. wanted to go to boarding school. Um, up until that point, we had moved so many times. Um, this was an easy sell for me. Like it made sense in my brain. Look, you guys can keep moving. I can stay in one place. You don't have to worry about whether I, my grades and credits will transfer. I'll just be in one place. It's a great school. And, um, you know, you don't have to worry about me there. And in my head, asterisk, it's going to be clear across the country from where you are. And I don't have to deal with yeah. just your expectations every day. But as everybody can attest to, like wherever you go, there you also there are. You are. Um, and so all of that depression and anxiety and shame that I had been struggling with in middle school went with me to high school. And every time I tried to prove myself to myself, yeah. like, oh, I can be a man. This is, this is going to be great. Every time I had another check on my to-do list or my wish list, it felt more and more hollow. And it became this loneliness and this despair that was even more compounding to the to that shame and despair that I'd already been feeling. Um, it became amplified. It was like magnifying glass on it. And so by the time I was a junior, I was, you know, struggling with thoughts of suicide. Like it was really bad. And I dealt with it in secret. I didn't want to tell anybody about it because if you knew, then I, immediately you're going to run away from so me. So any faith background at all? No. Folks go to church or no. are they... My parents, you know, they raised us to be good, to be good contributing members of society, um, and to give, give back when we were able to. Okay. But we didn't go to church. You know, Any faith at all <clears throat> in the home? My mom goes to church sometimes. Okay. Um, and, you know, my, my dad's friends would invite us to church for Christmas or Easter okay. service, you know, but there was nothing that was like, oh, yeah, we, went, we grew up going to church or anything okay. like that. And it's so interesting because the boarding school that I went to was a Christian school. Man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy him forever is above every threshold in every building. 
right? And so joke's on me. I thought I was running away from my parents. <laughs> and God was like, no, I, this is part of my plan too. You're yeah. coming to boarding school. Um, and it was there at boarding school that this teacher I had in the dorm just faithfully pursued me. Okay. I mean, he saw through the cracks in the veneer and he asked me questions that condemned me, not because he wanted to, but just because the Spirit was using those questions to show me how in utterly desperate need of Jesus I needed. You know, like it was questions like, dude, you are doing so much. How do you get up and go in the morning? What, where's your motivation coming yeah. from? And I hated those questions because I didn't have a good answer. Yeah. My, my motivation was paper thin. Like you could blow at it and it would fall over. It wouldn't hold up to anything. And so my senior year, this teacher who had been, you know, pursuing these conversations with me to get me to think deeper, um, that was just him being his genuine self. Yeah. I mean, this was a man who prayed over every boy's door as he put them in for like curfew mm-hmm. check. He and his wife like fasted before they went to, um, before they decided to go to grad school and stuff like that. This is the first Christian I had ever met who actually prayed when they said they were going to pray for yeah. someone. And this, people who fasted, right? And so um, the way this story comes about, it sounds like it doesn't sound real, right? He had been outside my door doing hallway check when I was arguing with my parents on the phone in Chinese and Vietnamese. He doesn't understand a lick of it. He's from Tennessee, right? He's a white boy from Tennessee. He does not, he just hears angry voices coming yeah. from my door. And I come out after like hanging up on my parents and he's like, dude, I don't know what's going on, but um, I want you to know I'm praying for you. And I looked at him dead in the eyes, the audacity. I said, I don't want your pity. And then I walked away. Yeah. Um, and he cornered me at breakfast the next morning and he said, hey, I'm, it's not pity. I genuinely care for you. I want you to know that. I love you deeply. And uh, my wife and I want you to come to church with us on, on Sunday. And I think I said to him, I, do you think I'm dirty? Or something to that yeah. effect. And the rest of that week, I kept stewing on it. And I ended up going. Okay. And, you know, to this day, there is no reason that I should have gone yeah. except for the Holy Spirit, right? Like, that's the only explanation. And I get there. And up until that point, my only impression of church was the robes, the organ, the hymnal. This was a Pentecostal church okay. in Tennessee. And I thought everybody there was completely out of their minds. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> having been to some Pentecostal spaces, yeah, no, I, I, I believe you. But the thing is, like, I did not understand. Like, coming as an outsider, I had no place in my brain to put why church people are smiling yeah. on Sunday. Okay, why their hands are raised up when they're singing, why they're excited to sing. I don't get this. Yeah. was my mental block that morning. Um, but what I could understand was they were passionate. I'm a musician. I get when somebody has passion. Yeah. That's passion. I get this. So if they're passionate about it, it's at least worth a listen. Yeah. I walked away like, y'all are crazy. No, that's not blood. That's not his body. Yeah. Like Jesus, God, whatever. This is not real. This is weird. I'm very freaked out by this. And then the rest of that semester, I kept going back. That's the joke of it all. Yeah. I kept going back to youth group with these people. <laughs> and um, and what it came to was my second semester of senior year, I finally, I came to a breaking point personally where all those suicidal ideations, all the partying and all the drinking caught up with me. And I had basically alienated all of my friends and I didn't know what else to do. And so yeah. I, I said, hey, coach, I, I need to talk. I don't want to live anymore. Like life sucks and I just don't want to do this anymore. And he said, okay, have you ever prayed before? And I said, yeah, you know, when, when we eat dinner at your house and, yeah. and chapel. Uh, he said, no, no, have you ever personally spoken to the God of this universe and asked him why he made you or why he put you here? And I looked at him kind of weirdly and I said, no, I guess not. And he said, well, why don't you start? Why don't you just talk to him like you're talking to me right now and whatever comes to your heart, just say it. And... I remember walking into that conversation feeling like, um, I'm not sure I can take another step. There's no reason for me to take another step. I give up. And I remember leaving that conversation, not having any theological background or anything, 
I couldn't tell you who the spirit or three in one or anything like that would be, but I knew that everything was going to be okay from that moment yeah. on. It felt like leaving that conversation, I could breathe air for the first time in my life. I also was faced with this like daunting, okay, now what? Yeah. Am I a Christian now? Is this what it means? Do you just say it, you pray, and then like, that's it? What happens next? Um, because now I have to like go back to all my friends who I used to party with, and they're not going to they're not going to talk to me. Do I have friends left? Do I start reading the Bible now? What is yeah. next? And do you define, like, now looking back on this all these years ago, do you look back at that and go, yeah, that's when the Holy Spirit Absolutely. opened. That's that's the illumination. Yes. That's justification right yes. there. Yes, yeah. And, you know, I, I went to college in a time when, like, these kind of, like, dramatic testimonies were kind of all the rage. This was, like, would have been the perfect picture one to, yeah. like, record and send out on a sound bite somewhere because it was that dramatic. Like, I can point to a specific conversation with a sp- certain person in a room. I can point to that moment, Yeah. even if I didn't have the words to put to it yeah. in that moment. One of, the, one of the ways we're able to bring these stories to you is by partnering with organizations that I've grown to trust and appreciate and love over the last couple of years. Uh, Dwell, the Dwell Bible app, if you followed my ministry, you know I've mentioned it before. It's just one of my favorite tools, like in my own devotional life, in my own study life, uh, to find more ways um, to hear the Word of God, to absorb the Word of God, to have the Word of God top of mind for me. Uh, and so I've used it devotionally. Uh, I've used it in regards to just, uh, I'm, I'm currently studying the book of Daniel. And so all day today, I've had the, the Daniel read by Mark with ambient music in the background playing on my phone in my truck uh, as I, you know, uh, walked outside a little bit earlier this morning, just finding ways um, to have the Word of God um, absorbing into my system and, and the, the design, the, the beauty of the app, uh, the various kinds of music that can play under, uh, the accents that can go to. There are so many aspects of the app that could serve to stir your affections for Jesus, depending on preference and desire. Dwell is offering listeners of The Overcomers 25% off a yearly subscription. All you have to do is visit dwellbible.com backslash overcomers, or you can click the link in the show notes to receive the discount. Hey, this episode of The Overcomers has been sponsored by the Acts 29 Church Planning Network with an invitation to our 2024 Next Conference here in April in Dallas, Texas. I'm going to be speaking alongside of a, a stellar lineup. You're like, you're not going to want to miss it. Uh, we've got Brian Loritz and Sam Alberry, John Piper, and more. Uh, and the hope of the next conference is really what we're trying to do is equip and encourage you as church planters and church leaders, really regardless of the type of church or type of ministry that you're in. And I would love to see you there. To learn more about this and to register for next, you can just go to acts29.com backslash next. And if you're an Overcomer listeners, you're going to have a, a special discount, like $20 off registration if you use the code Overcomers. And so you can apply this discount to the early bird prices before December 31st or the regular rates that start in 2024. That's axe29.com slash next. Look forward to seeing you there. So Jonathan and I were talking right before we started to record about um, these epic, awesome, necessary, brilliant I Am Second videos that were all the rage. Maybe maybe they're still all the rage. I I just remember seeing them a lot more Mm -hmm. um, back then. Yeah, they were all over Facebook. And they were, you know, they're these powerful testimonies of conversion Mm -hmm. or breakthrough or the miraculous, all, all that I think are legitimate and beautiful. But it's the, I think what we're trying to answer in this podcast is like, and then what? And then what? <laughs> and then what? Mm-hmm. And um, because I think that's the, I mean, this podcast exists because I think that's a, a big gap where we can point to these moments of breakthrough and and then what? Right. And because the in, and then what is not always up and to the right. Mm-hmm. It, it's just that the Lord broke through and and now you're on the long journey home, as, right. as I like to say. So, yeah. yeah. The Lord, inc- like, 
miraculously interrupted my life trajectory and saved me in that moment. And then everything after that was going to need some figuring out and ironing out. I knew that. I'm, I'm not super smart, but I do know that much. <laughs> well, but you are super smart, but it's okay. I appreciate that. Um, so I, I went to UNT, and it was stupid how many people got through into my life path to show me what it meant to be a Christian. These are men and women who are humble, who have no nameplate, who don't have a plaque. They are just members of a local church that cared for and loved their people well. Yeah. And they opened up their hearts and their homes to me and showed me what it looked like. Hey, what does it look like to be a good Christian brother? What does it look like to be a good Christian husband, father, banker, teacher, fill in the blank? Um, there's no book on that, right? Like there's plenty of books about how to be a godly you know, man. Sure. But what does that skin look like on a day-to-day basis? I remember early on in my faith, Joe Ader, he was one of my mentors. He literally would just pick up the phone and call and say, uh, my wife's out of town, got to tuck the boys in, and we've got laundry to fold. You want to come over and help me? <laughs> and then we'll talk. And some of those moments, some of those conversations over folding laundry or cooking dinner together or going to run errands together or fixing cars together or whatever, some of those conversations were the most impactful sure. on my faith um, and the way that it developed. Because it's not just the Sunday stuff. It's not just the Bible study. It's not just the intentional sit-down time. Those are super important. Spiritual disciplines are so that they provide the structure and the trellises for your faith to grow on. But all the in-between, those almost mundane moments, God is in those moments as well. Over those four years, God really used those men and women to build a firm foundation for my faith. I love that. So it's fifth grade. You stumble on to pornography. Mm -hmm. You you note to your shame, you said, like, Mm -hmm. oh my gosh, I'm... I think I'm looking at the wrong person. Mm-hmm. I think what my eyes and my heart are drawn to is the wrong person. Mm-hmm. And then this becomes, I don't know if saying calling it the source of mm-hmm. or in addition to mm-hmm. the anxiety and depression that ends up like close to, I mean, well, not, I mean, your word was suicidal ideation where you're telling mm-hmm. coach, look, I don't, I don't want to live. Mm-hmm. And then that leads to this, well, it leads to salvation mm-hmm. in, in a way. And then does, is this the same sex attraction? Is it following you around? Is it how is it showing itself in compulsions in this season where now my heart's alive in Jesus? I don't even know what that means. I certainly wouldn't use that language. Just something's happened to me. Yeah. And you're you're at UNT, which is people who are like UNT is a massive liberal arts school, mm-hmm. predominantly known for its jazz school and music right. school. Yep. And it it's a as far as like we're talking state of Texas goes, it's about as left-leaning of a community as it gets. And so you're not like coming into this. People think Texas, they just think like conservative <laughs> right. bastion. Cowboy hats. That's right. And they're not going to be thinking UNT. They're not even going to have – like if you're outside of Texas listening to this, gosh, you could be inside of Texas listening to this. Like UNT's campus, a large liberal arts college, university, has all that you would think exists – it is not a conservative place. It's certainly not a conservative place around sexuality. Mm-hmm. So you've come to this place with same-sex attraction as something that that kind of stirs and is a compulsion into an environment where same-sex attraction can be celebrated and exalted, and you find yourself in these with these you know running across these Christian men and Christian women. We're discipling you in what it means to be a man, mm-hmm. what it means to follow Jesus and submit your full life to him. How is How are those two realities slamming into each other and, and working their way out as you navigate your time at UNT? Yeah. So I think one of the most beautiful things about um, my early faith while I was at UNT was um, the graciousness and the humility of the people who were pouring into me at that point. Um, confession and confession of sin of any kind um, was a regular rhythm of life, but it was always met with truly the warmth and generosity of the Holy Spirit. Through through these saints? Yeah. Through these men and women? Yeah. Like, there was never any sense of condemnation. Okay. And whether that was, dude, I totally lost my temper at my roommate today and I cussed him out. Yeah. To something like, I looked at porn last night. Yeah. I'm just... I'm spiraling right now. 
it was never met with anything but even in this, God's grace is for you. Yeah. And especially now, God's grace is for you. There was never any alienation okay. or threat of excommunication or anything like that. Sure. I never felt that for one moment. Um, and I think because of that, it became wired into me very early on that even my scariest moments, my darkest moments, I can bring to the Lord. Yeah. There is nothing that I can do to outsend God's grace. Mm. And that that's so key. Yeah. Right? Because it didn't feel like my um stepping out on the Lord was slamming into okay. my faith. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. In fact, it it was in those moments that I was able to see like this is why I need my savior. Yeah. My God's love for me is for this. It's easy to love somebody who's easy to love. Yeah. It's in those hard moments, right? Hosea, Isaiah, like yeah. all of those stories in the in the Old Testament where it is hard to love. That's who that's who God is. Yeah. And so it's really magnificent to see like, okay, this is gonna take forever. Very early on it it became clear to me, like it's not about fixing all these things that are wrong with the not Christian, the BC part of my life, yeah. you know, like, oh, my addiction to alcohol or my partying, all of these things that God does not look at and take delight in. Yeah. All of these things are not godly behaviors, but it's not about the behaviors. If my heart doesn't change yeah. and then I stop all these things, I'm still far from God. The goal at the end of the day is not to stop all these quote unquote bad things, yeah. but instead it is, have I gotten closer to God? Have I... Have I tasted his love more? Have I seen his face more clearly? Have I gotten to feel his embrace more today? And I think that's what the what all these people in my early faith like came alongside me to show me so well. That's good. So you you make it through four years at UNT. Mm-hmm. Um, you graduate and then get a job teaching. Yeah. Yep. Um, I wrestled with that for a long time because. Okay. I felt like coming out of college, I was bursting with um, this love for the Lord that I didn't know how to manifest, right? Um, Do I go into full-time vocational ministry, like all these men and women that I really respect, or do I use the degree that I've earned for four years? And I ended up just kind of praying about both, putting all the doors on the table and letting the, the doors close and open as they will. I applied for like 15 school districts. Not a single one of them called me. Um, so I was like fully ready to like sign on to Navigators or something like that. And then two school districts that I did not apply for, thinking I would not have any shot, they called me up, offered me an interview. I interview, and in the parking lot, I'm offered the job for both of them. Come on. So I ended up um, accepting the job here in um, in Plano, and um, I've been there ever since. And so the first three years of that. We're kind of trying to figure out, now that I'm outside of this bubble that I was in for four years, yeah. where the Lord protected me, I had community to encourage me to walk alongside me. What does it look like? I'm all alone in this world. What does it look like to be a Christian at work yeah. in my neighborhood? I'm the only single person on my street. And at church, I might be one of five. Yeah. I mean, I remember when we were praying about the Plano campus, the first prayer meeting we had, I walked in the room, I almost turned right back around because there's one other single guy. Yeah. And... I sat next to that guy. We're still like best friends to cool. this day. <laughs> um, but my gosh, it's so lonely. And I just remember thinking like, what What do I do with this? This is not the Christ-like life that I was promised yeah. in college. This is not what it looked like. Where Where is the Christian community that I had? Yeah. It went away overnight, it felt like. And as a young adult, you know, what are you supposed to want? You want to excel in your job for the glory of the Lord. You want to pray about having a family you know, like I've always desired to have a family, but that all of that seems so far away. Yeah. Right. Every time I tried to date, it would feel like, well, on paper, all of like this checks out. Yeah. Why isn't this clicking? I don't understand. Lord, it's not for lack of trying. Yeah. What is, what, what do you want me to do, Lord, is how it felt. And I just was like, my 20s can just basically be like characterized by a rut. Like, yeah. I'm spinning my wheels, and I don't know where we're going, God. I, we're, I'm paddling forward, but it feels like I'm rowing against the current. And so many nights of just, like, 
pleading to the Lord to just give me one sign. I don't need a, a whole itinerary yeah. or the directions to the destination. Just give me one step forward. What does that look like? And I think that was like, I think in, when I was 26 or 27, that was probably the hardest two years of my 20s where I really felt like, Lord, I just don't know what we're doing. Yeah. What do you want me to pay attention to? I'm trying to follow you, but it doesn't feel like anything is happening. It doesn't even feel like you're there. Do yeah. you hear me when I cry out? Do you hear me right now as I'm crying to you? I have prayed for 10 years, 15 years now, it feels like. I don't want to struggle in the same ways that I've struggled since I was a kid. Yeah. Why are we still here? You know, I teach middle school and um, ninth and 10th graders. And on a, every day you get to see this, right? And I'm sure like, parents will say the same thing. Like you see your relationship to God in your kids sure. and the way that you parent them. And you hear, you catch yourself saying things to them that you're <laughs> like, okay, God, this is very funny. I understand. This was for me. Um, but even this morning, you know, we went to contest with our kids yesterday. Was it a stellar performance? Absolutely not. They know it. We knew it. Everybody knew it. But we had to have the talk of, when you go to see the symphony, you're only seeing a snapshot. They're professional, so it's, obviously the snapshot looks beautiful. You're in the beginning part of your journey. And that's how I feel like my faith has been, is yeah. like, I, I'm on this like trajectory forward, stumbling, sometimes crawling forward, sometimes being pushed forward, sometimes being yeah. dragged forward by the Holy Spirit. But what, it doesn't look like the picturesque Instagram post. Yeah. How much, and this is more just personal curiosity, um, the the men and women I, I know and I'm friends with or walk with here mm -hmm. at the village who who do struggle with same-sex attraction, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm always curious at the current moment we're in mm -hmm. is a strange one in that the voices are louder than they've ever been, mm -hmm. that this isn't even something you should be wrestling with. In fact, yeah. in a very real way, you're harming yourself mm -hmm. by not surrendering to this thing that's in you that culture as a whole, mm -hmm. I mean, as a whole, would say, I mean, the Muslims and the Christians, maybe the Mormons and a couple of others are the holdouts, right? But mm -hmm. everyone else has just moved on. Mm -hmm. Gosh, and there are some in those lines that would even say, no, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian and I still believe that, or I'm a Muslim and I still believe that. Um, and like, how do you... How do you fight well for holiness and surrender and submission to Jesus in a world that's telling you that's not even a fight that you should be having? Yeah. Um, any Christian will have to fight for their faith. Yeah. Regardless of what they do or don't struggle with. You could be a housewife. You could be a homeschool mom. You yeah. could be a banker. You could be whatever. But if you're a Christian, if you profess to believe in the Lord, you will wrestle for your faith. And that is because you don't look like God. Yeah. The rest of our lives is about him molding us into the image of his son and redeeming us one degree of glory to another. Um, for me, what that looks like is that on some days I feel so strongly convicted that there is nothing else that the Lord needs to give me. If he gives me nothing else for the rest of my life, it will have been enough yeah. that he has saved me. And then there are other days like just a few weeks ago where I felt like, why am I fighting anymore? Yeah. I, I just, I'm so tired. Lord, yeah. I'm so tired of fighting. Yeah. Um, and I think the current underneath that, the how do you fight part is that you pray and you fight for community. You pray and you fight for the ear of God. So I'll address both of those. I guess the community piece is key. You can't do it alone. You have to be in a spiritual community who will encourage you and have grace toward you and not be afraid of your messiness. Yeah. And God has given that to me so graciously in so many more ways than I could have ever asked for. I think so many times when people come out, they, they experience this freedom in, you know, pursuing, uh, pursuing the lifestyle. And I think what that sense of um, freedom is, is a sense of, I finally have a place that I belong. Yeah. 
And I think that the church has done a horrible job of that. I don't mean, you know, necessarily our church. I think the capital C church. Yeah. We, if we're calling people to fight and to stand up for something, what are we inviting them into? Yeah. What are we offering our brothers and sisters who are struggling in very unique ways? Yeah. We're not offering them anything. We're, we're telling them, you have to fight. It's hard. Good luck. Well, if given the two options, like yeah. that seems obvious to anybody. Yeah. So that's the community piece. Yeah. I think without the community backing, there's no way to do it. Yeah. I can't tell you how many times that I have cried on the couch of my friend or just said, I need to drive around for a while. Yeah. Will you come with me? And yeah. And yes is the answer. Yeah. Like I have friends who will just literally just, maybe I'll talk at them. Yeah. Maybe I won't say a single word and we'll just drive for four hours. Yeah. And that's so necessary. Yeah. And then on the other side of the fighting well, like you have to know how to care for those hurts and bring them to the Lord yeah. and acknowledge them. Um, I think there's like a, almost like a misconception that like once you become a Christian, you don't have to struggle anymore. You shouldn't worry anymore <laughs> and all these things. But the reality of it is, those sometimes the most intimate times with the Lord are the times when I've shouted at him in anger and in frustration, just in tears. Yeah. And whether that's in my counselor's office, like on the couch in fetal position, or whether that's in my closet, wherever that is, like having, being able to bring that to the Lord. Yeah. Letting yourself feel those things, those very difficult emotions and acknowledging that my God, the one who saved me, was the author of even those very complex emotions. Yeah. Nobody is angrier than God. Nobody is more frustrated than God at the state of our fallen world. Yeah. But he is also the one who has the most grace and the most warmth and the most tenderness for the most broken. Yeah. Earlier on this winter, I was going through a particular, like a particularly lonely season where I just felt like, Lord, I don't want to do this anymore. Yeah. Like, and I'm afraid to even say this out loud because if I say it, then it makes it real. But God, if I can say it out loud to anybody, it's you. Um, and I remember I I came to dress rehearsal for um, for the Dallas Symphony Orchestra. I performed with them. And I had never gotten to this part of the music that we were performing. And the text just came off of the page at clear as day. The soprano soloist, she proclaims offstage and she says, the night, the night is departing the dawn, the dawn is approaching. And I said, okay, the night is departing and the dawn is approaching. That's the Lord. He knew that in that moment I needed to hear him. And that was this embrace that I felt like yeah. just a moment of reprieve that I needed yeah. to go back and fight and wrestle. Yeah. The rest of the winter did not particularly go well either. Sure. But I had this nugget, this milestone to hold on to yeah. and say, my God is so real. He is worth giving up everything else for. Yeah. I heard Jackie Hill Perry say this once. It was framework that was helpful for me because it takes this struggle in particular and it pulls it back in to all the other struggles, uh, albeit it's still got its unique mm -hmm. outplays, right? But, but it pulls it back into kind of a historic theological understanding of sanctification, this kind of daily dying to self mm -hmm. that's been a part of the Christian faith really our entire history, but mm -hmm. somewhat seems to be forgotten in the current moment. And she said, if you if you think about same-sex attraction through the lens of psychology, you're looking at something, oh, we've got to try to fix this or heal this, which isn't fair and puts a ton of weight and a brutal um, kind of reality on people. But if you're saying... Biblically, this is a sinful compulsion that has to be brought under the authority of Jesus, just like heterosexual lust, just like you, you name it. You start filling in the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of sinful compulsions mm -hmm. that exist that we're all daily trying to see put to death in us. Mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden, you've got a category of struggle that makes us brothers and sisters in a way that we can understand one another mm -hmm. and that we can be there for one another more generously mm -hmm. and we can 
have grace for one another in in a way that's felt and experienced rather than this kind of being, you know, some of the stuff I've heard is like, this is like the varsity sin and uh, like, this is the real bad one, but these are, you know, these are the acceptable sins. But really, if you pull same-sex attraction back into its kind of, kind of the biblical worldview, mm-hmm. then what we have is what's sitting across from me right now is a brother who's serious about Jesus, loves him deeply, and is in a fight for sanctification where Jesus is going to sustain him. But there's some significant challenges to it, mm-hmm. and and I've got my own. Mm-hmm. And, and that puts you and me level at the foot of the cross right. and in desperate need of one another and in need of others that, that ultimately he'll sustain us if we keep choosing him and to yeah. keep grabbing hold of his promises. Yeah. And then he's good to kind of break through while you're at work, mm-hmm. you know, just playing music yeah. to go, no, I see you and I've got you yeah. and I'm going to hold you fast. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really key. We have historically as a church not done well. We elevate certain, you know, those varsity sins you were talking about. And in doing so, we ostracize the people who struggle with those particular mm-hmm. things. And then when that happens, like, what does it look like to breathe life into that? Yeah. Does that make sense? Like, yes, we're putting to death, but also what calls us to life? Yeah. There are so many things like where you look at in the history of church that you're like, huh, really? That was, that was a good idea to somebody at some point. Yeah. Would you ever do that to fill in the blank? Yeah. And the answer is clearly no. Yeah. But all we have, you know, is the wisdom of hindsight. Yeah. So we can resolve to do better and to treat our brothers and sisters with the dignity of the image of God. Yeah, that's good. Um, so I know you're a deacon at Citizens, which is one of our daughter churches. It's uh, You are the deacon of city engagement. And mm-hmm. so um, very plugged in and uh, vibrantly leading there in beautiful ways. And uh, man, thanks for coming on. Here's a, here's a question I'm, I always ask uh, everybody who comes on. Um, the thing about a podcast, different than a sermon that's this kind of conversation back and forth is that like right now, like somebody's got their headphones on Mm -hmm. or they're on one of those four hour drives in their car or they're in their office with the door closed or, and, and some people are like, they're dialing into this because they listen to podcast and they've listened to all seven episodes and they're being encouraged in their faith. And they're, there's little snippets of this and they're like, yeah, amen. That's right. Oh, that's good. Or, you know, maybe they're taking a journal or writing something down or, um, but other people are listening to this right now and they're right now, like in this moment where you were last winter. Mm-hmm. where you're like, I don't want to do this anymore. I don't think I'm going to make it. I'm going to, like, what would you say to the man or the woman that's like, they're listening to this right now and this isn't kind of an encouraging Christian story. Mm-hmm. Like you're telling their story right now. Mm-hmm. They remember when they were in elementary school or they were a little kid and they stumbled on and they realized, oh, wait, I'm I'm, I'm attracted to the wrong person in the picture here, mm-hmm. at least a- as I understand it. Mm-hmm. And and they're they're in this space where the the wind is blowing hard in their face to just hey life will be sweeter it'll be better if you just surrender to this in fact it's actually probably toxic and harming for you to not give in to this impulse that you're feeling certainly it's stealing from you your only shot at joy and happiness in life what would you say to that man or woman that's listening right now uh, who's in that spot yeah um, two things come to mind. If you profess to believe in Christ and be loved by him, if that is your profession, then the rest of our lives, the only really sure promise is that God's got you and it's going to be hard. And that's not super comforting on face value. Um, but there's this, this artist who, um, who just does these beautiful drawings um, on Instagram. Anthony Grolla is his name. And he has this one that I ordered um, a print of. And it is... It says, to wrestle with God is to still be near him. Mm. I'm not a wrestler. Praise <laughs> the Lord. <laughs> Nobody should fight me. You'll win. I'll lose. It'll be bad. But just the the depiction of to wrestle with God means to be near him. You can't wrestle from a distance. You yeah. have to be it's true. fully in his embrace. Your grappling is dirty, but you are in his embrace and you're yeah. near him. So I want to encourage you that if you are wrestling, keep wrestling. You are near to him, and he hears our prayers, and he hears our cries. It reminds me of, 
you know, at the end of Narnia, where Reaper Chief comes to the western shore, and um, Aslan says to him, you can lay down your sword. Where we are going, you will not need this. Yeah. The rest of my life, I'm going to battle. Yeah. Whether it's this, depression, whatever, the struggle of the day, I'm going to battle. I'm going to battle with the security of knowing that God has me more securely than anything else. Yeah. But knowing that at the end of my life, I'll be called to lay down all my tools of battle. Because yeah. where I'm going, I won't need that. There's going to be a day where I won't be tired. Yeah. Um, there's going to be a day where the victory that was already won for me, I'll feel the full weight of that. Yeah. And that's for you. That's for you too, brother and sister. Yeah. That victory, it's already yours. It doesn't feel like it every day. Yeah. But it's there. That's right. And then I'd love for you, Jonathan, to speak to it because I think this is equally as important. Um, right now, there are men and women listening to this, and this is not. They, they've got their struggle. This, this is not it. But they love Jesus, and they want to love people, and um, they want to form communities of grace where someone who is struggling with whatever um, can find a safe place to wrestle with their own stuff in a context that's safe and encouraging mm-hmm. and will speak life into and blow wind into the sail yeah. as they, how, how would you speak to, like if this is your shot to kind of say something to Big C Church about how to approach and love and create an environment mm-hmm. for those who do struggle with same-sex attraction, specifically in this day and age, what, what would you say to them? Here's an opportunity for you to open your homes or open your tables or say yes to that four-hour drive. Just speak for just a moment here as we close out about what, if if you're just listening to this right now, and man, you're, you can relate to a certain compulsion, certain struggle, but it's not Jonathan's struggle. It's kind of your own, but you do have a great deal of zeal to just be the people of God in this day, to create places where anyone, well, the way we would say it here at the village is it's okay to not be okay. Right. Like, how do you create an environment where it's okay to not be okay? Speak to that from the vantage point of someone. Hey, man, this is a, I, I don't, maybe the Lord will take this away, but that that to me, the goal is not him taking it away. The goal is faithfulness mm-hmm. to Jesus until I get to put down my sword. Speak to the larger sea church and how we might think and operate and live in such a way as to provide courage and safe space. Yeah, I don't think we've ever been at a place where it's more possible. I think right now, where we are in society, that word safe space or that term safe space, we should be taking the charge on that. Yeah. The church should be taking the lead on how to welcome somebody who's struggling. If somebody can't struggle here with the Lord, where could they struggle? You know, I think that needs to be at the forefront of our minds. I think listening without offering um, judgment, I think that is so key. This struggle is so isolating already that it can feel insurmountable some days. Like, if I say this out loud, what's going to be the response? Will yeah. you reject me? Will you turn away from me? Will you tell me that I can never see your your children again? Yeah. Because these are all real responses that have yeah. been received. Listen with a tender heart without judgment and then ask, just like you would with anybody else, how can I come alongside you yeah. and war with you? I love you and God's love for you and my love for you today are not any different than they were yesterday. Yeah. How can I best love you? Yeah. Because that's going to look different for everybody. But specifically, just to feel that embrace of you are still welcome here in my life. Yeah. All right. Hey, thanks so much for being on The Overcomers. Again, if you're listening here, the, the thing I want to just keep saying is that the grace of Jesus and his love to move towards you, regardless of the compulsion and struggle, regardless of the loss and disappointment. One of my favorite things to read in the Bible, and you see it everywhere, is this moment where men and women cry out to God because they feel forgotten or betrayed, or um, like even in Jeremiah's case, he, he accused the Lord of deceiving him. And yet, God's big enough to, to hold that And not only to hold it, but to move towards them, even as they vent the very thing that's in the deep places of their heart. And so I, I, man, you're listening to this, I just want to encourage you, 
with, with keep getting up, keep lifting your eyes mm-hmm. to Jesus. His grace is big enough. Find communities of grace. I, I think that's become a theme. I didn't foresee that becoming a theme as we started recording these, but man, that community of grace that's going to hold you accountable. So it's not mm-hmm. an affirming community that right. just, and no pun intended for this episode, but mm-hmm. it's just like, yeah, you should be angry or you should be, but it's a, it's a, it's like a container that can hold your frustration mm-hmm. and still call you to what God would call you to and walk alongside of you mm-hmm. as you battle, battle alongside of you. And so thanks for tuning in. Uh, God bless you. I pray your heart is encouraged today. Hey guys, Pastor Matt, hope that you enjoyed this episode of The Overcomers. You find your heart more encouraged in the Lord, uh, more dedicated to His kingdom. Uh, Just wanna remind you, if you found this helpful in in this season of life, this is what I wanna do. I wanna encourage your heart. I wanna lift up your eyes and and let you behold the beauty of Jesus. Uh, And so on top of The Overcomers podcast, uh, also started a website, just pastormattchandler.com. And on my website, there, there's all sorts of resources, but but you can also um, sign up for a monthly newsletter where I'm just trying to wring from the scriptures um, encouragement for your souls. And so you, there are two different newsletters. There's one for um, just everyday Christians seeking to be faithful where they are. And then there's a there, there's another newsletter uh, for pastors and church leaders. Uh, and so sign up for either one of those or both of those. Uh, but man, look forward to staying in contact with you. God bless you.